Okay. <clears throat> so let's begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so thank you all for uh, joining tonight. <clears throat> I'm going to go through a few things, kind of housekeeping stuff, and then get into the, um, into the topic. So, <clears throat> uh, so this is, I've, I've titled this the adult instruction class, and it's a change because uh, previously I would do a, adult catechesis individually, one by one with people. But we've had so many people coming at different times that I decided to simply uh, put it all together and have it at one place and one time. Unfortunately, we're in a different sort of situation where we can meet through Zoom, so that's convenient for some of you. But for others, I know it's really helpful to be together in person. So once the sanctuary is finished, we'll be meeting there. Uh, and my goal is that this would be a new class. I've never taught this before. Uh, and so this is kind of a test uh, for to test the content, the time, the schedule, the time of year to see if it works for people. So I'd like your feedback. And if you could, uh, at the end of this as well, give me some ideas. And I'm hoping to make this a permanent addition to the calendar so that every year it's anticipated that there's a 10 week course coming up. I'm hopefully, I think the summertime seems to be good uh, these 10 weeks. So I'm gonna do the best I can. Uh, so the first thing I wanna address is who is this class for? It's for non-Christians. So people with little or no Christian background at all. Uh, it's for people with no church. So people who have maybe some familiarity with Christianity, but they don't have a church home. Uh, now, or, or they don't attend church regularly or have stopped for some reason. Uh, it's for people from another church, so people who have a church home and a denomination, but they simply want to learn about what it means to be Lutheran. So uh, this could be simply educational, simply informational. Um, it's also for people from this church, from Zion, uh, from this congregation, people who have grown up Lutheran, or are already Lutheran or wanna learn more, or just wanna learn how to articulate these sort of things. And this would be a class for you also to invite uh, family members or friends and things like this. <clears throat> uh, what will we accomplish? I wanna cover these things. I, I think there's four things that we're gonna be touching on. One, and primarily are the beliefs, uh, learn what Lutheran Christians believe, that is what, what does the Bible say? Uh, two, I also want to explain why we believe what we believe. Uh, three, I'm going to be pointing out some of the differences where we differ from other denominations and other Christian churches. Uh, again, I'm going to do my best to, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to be fair, but I'm going to do my best not to hurt anyone's feelings. Uh, I just want to put a disclaimer. That's not my intention. If I do end up 
uh, hurting anyone's feelings or offending anyone. My, my intention is just to clearly articulate what the scriptures say, what it means to be Lutheran, and then also show the differences between the Lutheran church and other churches. So I want to be fair. I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth. I'm not going to change what uh, anyone says or put a straw man argument out there. Uh, I want to be fair and tell you not what individuals believe, but what church bodies in their entirety officially have said they believe, teach, and confess. So, so every church body has their unique teachings. And I want to point that out because I, I think it's helpful to understand what is and also what isn't. And understanding what isn't helps you identify what is and vice versa. So, so that's what I want to do. Um, so I'm not going to talk about what the average uh, Christian or Baptist or Catholic or Methodist believes. I'm going to tell you what the church says uh, as opposed to what individuals think. Uh, so that's third. And then the fourth thing, I'll be covering some controversial issues. So <clears throat> we'll talk about the things that are politically incorrect, um, things that maybe people see as taboo or we don't talk about with friends or family, like politics and religion. And we will talk about those things in this class, uh, especially during the Ten Commandments. I think that's uh, the third or fourth week here. Um, so that's what we'll, we'll accomplish. Uh, the expectations. So for you. <coughs> Sorry about my cough here. Um, uh, I have two expectations. One is that there's no obligation. So there's no obligation or expectation for you to become a member of the church. So I, the truth is I would love for that to happen, but you're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't, right? If you get through all of this and at the very end you say, you know what, I realize uh, maybe I, I don't believe this, I don't agree. Okay, the, uh, that's, we're, we're fine with that. Um, but if you say, you get to the end of this and hear, uh, yeah, I, this is what I believe I, and I love this, then, then you're free to join or not join. Uh, again, I'm not trying to sell anything. It, I'm not trying to sell you like a used car or a timeshare. Uh, or be convincing in this way. I just want to be open and honest and just clear and forthcoming, answer all the questions I can. I want nothing to be left in the fine print, right? I, that if you were to join the church, I don't want you to be surprised and say, oh, I, I didn't know you guys believed that. Uh, so I want to get it all out now and be clear. Um, so that's the first thing, no obligation. The second thing, I'm not going to put any of you on the spot. So... <coughs> I'm not going to call on you to answer questions uh, or make you pray in front of everyone or do icebreakers or things like that um, or make you share details about your life or things. Um, that's not what this is for. Also, I'm, I'm not going to try and uh, trick you into, into doing any of those things. So I'll, I'll lead the prayers in this. I just want it to be a place where you can come here and... Um, and be comfortable uh, learning about this. Uh, I have two requests. One is that if possible, as much as you're able to, uh, to turn your cameras on and to turn the microphones off. I'm not gonna force anyone to do this, but I know some of you may listen to this while driving or working or cooking at this time of the night or something. Uh, others might just be camera shy or whatever it might be. Um, but. If, if you're able to, what I'm asking is that you, you would. 
because uh, it helps me also see faces to teach instead of see my own face only. Uh, I get bored of my face. So uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is to see the course through. So um, no obligation, and I'm not going to force this upon you, but my request is that you would see it all the way through. Uh, so that, that if you start today, that you would see it at, at the end of the 10 weeks as well. The reason being is because all of these lessons build upon one another. And you're first going to hear a lot about, especially during the Ten Commandments, uh, we'll get up to week three or four, you'll hear about the law and sin and guilt and the wrath of God. And it might be overwhelming. And at some point you're going to say, if you jump ship at that point, if you leave, uh, you will have left right before we talk about the gospel. <laughs> and then you, you hear how it resolves, how it, how it all goes together. And these things build upon each other. So what, what I don't want to happen is to say, look, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to, you know, all this guy talks about is, is sin and death. And uh, this is going someplace, right? And that's my point. So I, that's my only request is that you do see it through. Again, I understand if you can't make it uh, for certain classes or you're busy or you get sick. Um, and, and if you, if you want to just leave the class and say, I, I just don't like this, that's, that's fine. There's nothing I could do about that either, but that's just a request. Okay. <coughs> um, all right. So, and now I have a couple of, uh, invitations uh, or one invitation for you. That in the meantime, you're all invited to attend church services, uh, listen to the sermons that are posted. Um, you're free to come in and sit in the service and hear what it's about. I do want to give you a word of warning here, a fair warning. We are a liturgical church, and I'll explain what that word means later. But it's what most people call a traditional service. So that means it's formal, it's reverent, it's orderly. It's a bit complex and complicated. Uh, and this is the way church has been done for about 2,000 years. However, I know that the church service, how it looks like now, looks out of place today. <laughs> Nowadays, it doesn't look uh, modern. It doesn't look like it kept up with the times. And it's unlike anything you're going to be used to. And there's a lot of reasons why we do this. And it's all deeply, deeply meaningful for us, uh, to all of the members of Zion. But that doesn't mean it's going to be meaningful to a visitor or somebody who just walks in one Sunday. So I, I just, I don't expect people to walk in and know everything that's going on and say, I'm, I'm comfortable. I, I know what to do. I, I, it's predictable. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Usually the way I explain this is with this analogy, um, uh, uh, in 2019, a movie came out called Avengers The Endgame, or Avengers Endgame. And it was like a three-hour movie. Uh, I, I really enjoy uh, the comics and, and the movies. Well, <coughs> you can watch the videos on, on YouTube, and you'll see the audience reactions to things. Like somebody picks up a hammer, and everybody starts cheering. And... 
um, so somebody looks a certain way or says a certain phrase and everybody's like, wow, or they're gasping or they're crying at a certain part or thing. And, it, and it's really quite uh, involved. Um, but Avengers Endgame is the 22nd movie in a, in a string of 21 movies, uh, 21 uh, movies preceding it. And then finally it's the 22nd movie. Uh, and it culminates, it all adds up finally to this one movie. Now, in order to understand that movie, Avengers Endgame, you have to watch all 21 previous movies, right? Uh, it's kind of the same thing with like Grey's Anatomy or, uh, I don't know, these really long soap operas and things like this. Uh, it's, it's meaningful for those who have seen it all from the beginning to the end. Uh, but it's not meaningful if you just walk in at the last movie, the 22nd one, and you're going to walk in and see, as a standalone movie, you just won't understand what's going on or find it meaningful. Well, so, so my point here is that the same thing goes for the liturgy. I don't expect people to just walk in and then understand where all these texts are from and how they come together. So what I'm saying is there's a learning curve here. And uh, I... Again, a fair warning uh, that this is how the service looks like, and I'm happy to explain why we do what we do, but I don't expect uh, it to be as comfortable or familiar <laughs> right away. So, okay, <clears throat> uh, moving on to questions. I will periodically throughout the class make time for questions. So if I'm in the middle of something, write the question down and make note of it, and then and, and ask it when I, when I open it up for questions. There are times, because of this class, it's gonna be 10 weeks, there are times that you may ask a question and I won't answer it in the moment. That I will just say, I'm gonna be addressing that later. <laughs> so don't be discouraged if I don't answer the question right away. And sometimes there are things you have to know first before I can answer a question about something later. So just to keep that in mind. Uh, the basic schedule for today and for each Wednesday, is I'm hoping to go from 6 p.m. to 7.15. Uh, my goal is that it would not go, well, my promise is it won't go past 7.15. If I can end at 7, I will do it, if we can get all questions and things in. But that last 15 minutes is um, give or take, and uh, it may be or may not be. So uh, what we'll do each time is we'll begin with prayer, uh, I won't be reviewing the previous class. I just realized we don't have enough time to do that. Also, I'm recording the classes, so you'll be able to listen to them uh, again during the week in case you miss something. So no, no reviews. Uh, we'll get into the lesson right away. Uh, periodically, uh, we'll open for questions, and then we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. And just because of the way it's done through Zoom, uh, just keep your microphone on mute while we while we pray the Lord's Prayer, just because of the connection issues and it turns into chaos when everyone tries to pray together at once at the end. So um, I, I gave you guys the general outline. <coughs> it's, it's the tentative outline. So we're going to stick to that as much as possible. Um, it's, today is Christ and the Bible. So introduction and then Christ and the Bible. Uh, any questions on the housekeeping business or anything like that? No, uh, this will be the same link uh, from week to week. If you have trouble or you can't log on, let me know and then I'll try to get that to you as well. Um, 
when, when the time comes up. Okay, so the first lesson, we're going to talk about Christ and the Bible, and, and in that order. It's, it might seem out of place, but we're going to talk about Jesus first and then the Bible. Uh, we have to recognize that there are different worldviews. So there are many different views and thoughts and ideas about God. Uh, there's atheism, which says that there is no God or gods. Uh, there's agnosticism that says uh, it's the belief that we're incapable of knowing if there is a God or gods. Polytheism, which is the belief in many gods. Monotheism, it says that there's only one God. Deism is the idea that there is a God, but he's entirely removed from us. So he just kind of built the world, uh, left it on its course, and then left us. Uh, and just is impersonal, doesn't in intercede or help us. We're just kind of going along on this planet on our own. In opposition to all of this, we have the Christian worldview. And our understanding from God comes from Jesus Christ. That everything we know about God comes from and submits to what we know about Jesus. So that if you want to know something about God, then you would have to know it from Jesus and through him. And th this, is, this is the linchpin. This is the, the access that we have to God. Now, I want to talk about the significance of Jesus, that Jesus is acknowledged in every religion. Every religion on earth acknowledges him in some way, uh, shape, or form. They speak of Jesus as a prophet or a wise man, a teacher, a leader, or things, something like this. Uh, they have something to say about him. But in Christianity, uh, for us, Jesus is central to what we know about God because we believe that Jesus himself is God. Um, our understanding of Jesus comes not from what we think or what others say, but from what he says concerning himself. So therefore, if you want to know about God and Christianity, then we need to know who Christ is and what he says. So that, that's the, so we say, well, what did he say? What did, what did God say? Well, then that's who God is. Now, I want to begin with a, a question here to say, how important is it to know Christ? And I want to show you this with a specific text. And it's Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bible. <coughs> Philippians chapter 3, uh, we'll, look at, uh, we'll look at the context there. I was going to read a few verses, but I might read it to you in context so you understand Hmm. Okay. I just Okay, I pulled this up. So Philippians 3 is in the New Testament. This is uh, written by the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to share the screen here so you can see the text in case you don't have it in front of you. D don't mind what's on the right-hand side of the screen. Uh, that's Greek and uh, some diagrams and things there. But uh, So on the left side of the screen, you'll see the scriptures here. And 
we'll go to verse, uh, look at uh, verse, ah, let me see, look, look at verse two, uh, starting there. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, this doesn't make much sense right now, but I'll explain what these things mean, uh, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. What does that mean? That, that means he, he has uh, reason to be secure in himself, in his body, in his works. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence or carnal security in the flesh, I have more. Now, this kind of comes off as arrogant from the Apostle Paul, but he's saying if anybody has done good works, if anybody could earn their way to heaven, if anybody's a good person, I am a better person, Paul says. Verse 5 says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. Check, right? This is a long checklist of, of good works. Circumcised on the eighth day. I've done it. Um, of, of the people of Israel. Check. I have the blood. I have the lineage. I have the, the DNA. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. That's one of the best people. Our, our ears hear Pharisee and we think bad. But in those days, it was like thinking of Mother Teresa, right? Or, or Mr. Rogers or someone just very kind and loving, uh, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he says all these things, and all of, he's not exaggerating. All of these things are true. And it's, it's a really beautiful uh, list of good works. And then he says, verse 7, whatever gain I had, whatever good works I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Uh, the word there in Greek, rubbish, is skubala, which uh, it's, it's a funny sounding word. Um, it's better translated as uh, refuse. It's actually stronger than that. It's it's uh, it's a potty word. If you can, if you know where I'm going with this, <laughs> uh, the, the scriptures speak this way. They're very very clear in this way. So I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I, I want to focus on these two verses that I may gain Christ um, and, and talk just a little bit about that. <coughs> he says, I count everything as loss, not less, lost, gone. All of the good works I had, I consider them to be nothing. And he says, why? Because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ. In other words, knowing Jesus 
he says, is more valuable than an entire life of good works. This is amazing. Um, I'll, I'll give you a, an analogy here because what Paul is saying is, is uh, I've been working all this time and yet the thing I needed the whole time was to know Christ. Uh, so here's an analogy. It's, it's, uh, imagine there's a young boy. Uh, he meets a, a beautiful girl in his youth, but then he leaves her for some reason. Uh, he dates all kinds of women. He gets all, into all kinds of trouble. He lives a wasteful life. And then he sees that first girl again, and he falls in love with her and marries her. And, and then he says, he says, uh, I wasted all my time, all this time with other, other people doing stupid things, wasting my time. And I lost all of that time with you. I could have spent all of that time with you all those years. Um, so that's kind of what's going through Paul's mind. He says, well, I've been searching and doing all the good works and uh, piling things up, having a perfect record when the thing that mattered most was to know Christ. And I didn't. But now I do. And now that I know Christ, now all of the other stuff is rubbish to me. It's nothing to me. So he looks back and he sees him struggling, trying to earn heaven by his good works and realizing he's never good enough. And then he says he has uh, joy in this. I mean, this is just a a beautiful thing here. uh, What he says to know Christ is the most valuable thing uh, he could do in his flesh (laughs) to just know him. Now, I want to move on and, and talk about, well, what does it mean to know Christ? Uh, you can look up John chapter 10. <coughs> John 10, 14 through 15 says, uh, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Um, A few words on this. Uh, Going down to verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, That's a list of three things. So in this text, in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us what it means to know him. And in verse 27, he tells us uh, that my sheep uh, know me. Well, what does that mean? Verse 27 says, They hear his voice. So they hear the word of God. Two, they're known by him. He says, um, uh, they, how does he say? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And what's beautiful about this is he's saying, to know that Jesus knows you is an attribute of the sheep. <laughs> to, to know that God thinks about you is, is a thing that the sheep, the ones who belong to him, know. So they hear his voice, they, they know they're known by him, and three, they follow him. Now, by implication, this doesn't mean that they just do all the good works and, and imitate him. Um, by implication, it means that they trust him. If he walks in a certain direction, the sheep just follow and say, he's not gonna lead me down a ditch. He's not gonna push us off a cliff. If he leads, if he goes somewhere, that's where I'll go. So this is talking about faith. Um, And then he says, I lay my life or I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, This is what it means to know Christ. This is the thing to know about him is that he lays his life down for you. Uh, 
verse 17 says something really curious. It says, for this reason, or because of this, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now we hear this and we're like, well, shouldn't the father love the son for who he is? But this is who he is. <laughs> who he is, is the one, he is the one who lays his life down for the sheep. That, in other words, that is his identity. That is his being. He is and has always been the one who would lay his life down for us. So um, th- there's a couple of other verses. There's John 17, 3. I'll just read it to you. Uh, this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you. Uh, so there's a knowledge of, of God. Uh, Romans 8, 20, uh, 8, 32, it talks about all things. Uh, that the, the, uh, He who did not spare his son, how will he not give us all things? Uh, and this is talking about eternal life. And, um, and I could get more into this text, but I'm, I realize I'm falling behind here. I want to stop here. And sorry, actually, let me go to one more text and then I'll open up for questions. Uh, Philippians 3.10. Let's look at that. So this is continuing with, with what we read before. Indeed, I count everything as lost. Verse 10, um, or let me read verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that is knowing him, following him, uh, knowing that he knows me, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And verse 10, that I may know him. Uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what he says here is the chief goal and ambition of this life is to know the God who made you and redeemed you, that I may know him. <laughs> it, I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than this. And, and hopefully in this class, I can show you uh, the depths of, of the great joy this brings. This, this also means that this is the chief thing that you want your spouse to know is Jesus. The chief thing you want your children to know would be Jesus. Um, I, in fact, <coughs> I don't understand how people don't look into this. I, I commend all of you here tonight. Uh, some of you grew up Christian, are, are Lutherans, uh, know probably all of this stuff already. Uh, but there are people who just don't look into it or into who Jesus is and what he said. Um, I, can, I can understand somebody hearing what Jesus says and then saying, look, that's ridiculous. I don't believe it. But I can't understand somebody saying, I don't care to even investigate. <laughs> I don't even care to look into it or consider it. That, that I don't understand. Um, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. Imagine, and in fact, you're probably going to pick this up in the, in the class that I use a lot of analogies. Some of them are good and some of them are, are very stupid, but I'm trying to, get the, <laughs> trying to, trying to make it uh, uh, understandable. Imagine a guy knocks on your door and he says, hey, um, I used to live in this house. I buried a box. I had, a, I had received a, you know, I won the lottery. I got a bunch of money, millions of dollars. I put it in a, in a shoe box and I put it in the, I buried it in the backyard. 
And just in case you run into it, if you find it, you can keep it, right? And he says that. Now I can understand somebody shutting the door in his face and saying, you're crazy, don't, <laughs> I don't believe you, don't come here again, don't knock here again, uh, and then shutting the door. But, but I can't understand somebody who would say, okay, yeah, I'll look into it one day, I'll get around to it, and then never does, <laughs> or, or never even just is curious about it. I, I can understand a strong reaction to what Jesus said on one way or the other, that what Jesus says is polarizing, the words that come from Jesus' mouth and who he is, is polarizing. That you love him or you hate him. But the indifference and apathy, the, the middle part, that I, I don't quite understand. Especially if, if there is, look at this, there's a claim on the table that a man died on a cross, rose from the grave, whose tomb was guarded by soldiers and that tomb is empty three days later just as he said, and there were over 500 eyewitnesses to see him after his resurrection. Nobody denied it, even while facing terrible persecution and deaths. And this Jesus claimed that anyone who believes in him, who knows him, would have eternal life and not perish just by trusting him. And there are people who aren't even looking into it, not, not even considering it. Now, th that's the part I have trouble with. And I, I just... I, I wonder how you could see all of the things that happen in this life, the, the sadness and the misery, and then say, hear this claim of eternal life, and then say, ah, I'll get around to it, and, and never do. Uh, so let me stop here, and, <coughs> sorry, uh, let me stop here and open up for questions if there are any. And if you do have a question, make sure to unmute yourself. No questions? All right. Uh, if, if you do have one, just interrupt me here um, if I'm going too fast. Okay, so that's the importance of, of knowing Christ. <coughs> now, I want to get into, and, and the highest ambition of this life is to know Christ. Uh, I want to get into how do we know Christ? How can we know Christ? So this is Christ. Now we're going to talk about the Bible. Now, every single religion has their sacred writings. Um, they have the Quran. Uh, there's uh, Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard uh, for Scientology. There's the Vedas and the uh, Upanishads for Hinduism, uh, so on and so forth. There's a lot of sacred texts. Uh, and all sacred writings can be summarized as books about the law. That you could take these, put them all on the table here in front of you, and say they are rule books and instruction manuals, and you would be right. In other words, each one gives a list of rules and works and things that you have to do um, to earn uh, eternal life. Now, the Bible, on the other hand, is the only book that is not in the same pile as those books. There's a distinction because the Bible is not simply a rule book. It is a book about the history of our salvation. It's a book about the history of how much God loves you. All other religion and religious books and texts will tell you what you must sacrifice for God. And the Bible is the book that tells you what God, the one true God, sacrificed for you. 
That is, he gave his only begotten son into death. He gave Christ and that Christ has shed his blood for you, just uh, at the thought of you, in love for you. So the purpose of the Bible is that you would know God and have eternal life, that you would know this about him, how much he knows about you and cares about you. Um, So I want to get into this. Uh, What is the Bible? (coughs) What is the Bible? Uh, The Bible is made up of 66 books. Uh, It's made up of the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books uh, made up, and and the writers are prophets. Uh, It's written in Hebrew. And it's from about the year 1500 B.C., to 450 BC. That's the span of time that that we're looking at. Uh, The New Testament, there's a gap there between the two. It's the intertestamental period. It's a gap of about 400 years. Uh, Then comes the New Testament. And in the New Testament, there are 27 books. Uh, It's written by evangelists and apostles. And I'll I'll talk about that uh, later. It's written in Greek. it begins, uh, and it begins with the life of Jesus. So 1 BC to 33 AD, we're, that's what we're uh, working through. Uh, just so you know, 1 BC, there is no year zero. So it goes 1 BC and then 1 AD and no, no, no middle ground. Um, so it just jumps that way. So 1 BC and then all the way to 33 AD when, uh, when Christ was crucified. Uh, the New Testament was written starting at 45 AD to about 95 AD. Uh, Actually, give me one second. I'm going to get a piece of paper so I could write this down so you could sort of visualize what's going on here. So one second. Okay, so we'll say this is the life of Jesus. Okay, I don't know if you could see this, but what we have here is uh, 1 BC, the birth of Christ to Jesus, 33 AD. And then we have the New Testament started to be written 45 AD. And the last book, uh, so the first book is uh, Matthew. The last book is Revelation written by John. And it's 45 AD to about 95 AD. And then we have this gap here. And that gap is uh, roughly 12 years between the resurrection of Jesus and the first text that we have in the New Testament. Um, And I want to tell you, for ancient literature, that is blazing speed. That is very, very fast. That that is not a long time. In fact, you you actually remember what you were doing 12 years ago, right? Um, you, you have a very general sense of, of what was happening 12 years ago in your own life. Now, imagine if you saw spectacular things, right? We, we remember certain events of our life that are very emotional 
or very uh, tra- traumatic or something, we remember it with, with extreme detail and it kind of burns itself in, in our minds. Well, this is what's happening too, that the, uh, the, the writers of the New Testament, this is still fresh in their minds. Also, it wouldn't make sense for them to then say, yeah, his tomb is empty. And well, everyone is still alive when they could go check it out themselves. So they could go and, and verify it and say, nope, I see his body right there. You guys keep saying he's resurrected, but his tomb is right here and here's his body. But that, that hasn't even, that's not enough time to develop into a legend about the man. This is still within the generation. People are still alive. So uh, we'll talk about that a little uh, more later. Uh, the evangelists are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Matthew and Luke or sorry, Matthew and John are apostles. So they're eyewitnesses. They, they saw everything happen. Mark was not, and Luke was not. They were not apostles of Jesus. They weren't eyewitnesses. Uh, they, they saw some things, but not everything. <coughs> uh, but Mark was authorized by Peter, who was an apostle, an eyewitness. And Luke was authorized by Paul, who... Um, uh, whom the Lord converted uh, later. And we'll talk about that too. Uh, so then we say, well, how could they remember, right? So 12 years is still, still enough time to remember things, but how could they remember all of the details so, um, so accurately? How could they remember that there were six jars holding 140 gallons at the first miracle that Jesus did in Cana? How could they remember the very words that Jesus said, the very nuances and all the points? Well, I want to show you one text, and this is John chapter 14, verse 26. If I can pull this up. Um. Uh, John 14, 26, this is a promise that Jesus gives to his apostles, to to his disciples whom he turns into apostles. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things so that they, they will then comprehend and know what Jesus was talking about the whole time and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, Jesus said this before he died. And look, he says, and the father will send. Meaning in that moment, the disciples didn't understand or remember everything. But in the resurrection uh, at Pentecost, this is when we say that the Holy Spirit was sent to them and they were able to remember everything in incredible detail. This is a, a miraculous sort of thing. And they were able to make the connections and remember the scriptures, right? So this is where we get the confidence to say, well, what did the, uh, why is the Bible so accurate? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit brought these things to remembrance. They, they didn't forget a word that, that he said. Now, I wanna talk about a few things and then I'll talk about the, how the scriptures were written. Uh, people oftentimes ask, what about the canon? So wh- why these 66 books? Weren't there other books written? Uh, how come we didn't include those? The Catholic Church has apocryphal books or they're called deuterocanonical uh, books. Uh, there's um, Gnostic Gospels of the New Testament, the Gospel of Thomas, things like this. And we say, well, why wasn't that included? 
And usually if you read like books from Dan Brown or things like this, he'll say that it was just a group of men that got together and said, we like this book, we don't like that book, uh, and they voted and that's how they came up with the Bible. Well, uh, it, it's, it's a lot more um, uh, simple than that. The canon was formed this way. The first criteria is Jesus. And they said, we begin with Jesus. If he quoted or referred to a book in any book, uh, we see that as his stamp of approval. So that if Jesus quotes the Old Testament or talks about an event of the Old Testament, then we say, then it happened. Then that's, that must be it. So the litmus test is Jesus and not, uh, not the other way around. The second thing is the apostles. That if the apostles quoted anything or referenced anything from the Old Testament or any scriptures, then this is also seen as part of the canon. So because Jesus said he speaks through his apostles, then anything that they uh, quoted from the Old Testament, they said, well, this is part of the Bible. Um, And then the early church uh, formed the official canon based on these two criteria. Uh, It wasn't voted upon. They looked at this and they said, well, if it's written by an apostle or uh, quoted, then it's part of the canon. It's part of what uh, we would call the, the word of God. Now, uh, we, we asked the question, well, what is the Bible chiefly about? Um, John chapter three, chap, uh, sorry, John chapter five, uh, verse 39. I'd like for you to turn there. Jesus himself says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus says, what are the scriptures about? They're they're about me. Uh, That's that's his first, the first thing he says. I want you to look at Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Uh, This is after his resurrection. He's walking on the road to Emmaus and there are two disciples with him and they believe that Jesus is still dead. They don't even recognize Jesus and Jesus is walking with them. And then it says this, in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so essentially the entire Old Testament, because that, that's the only thing that was written at the time. Uh, remember the, uh, the timeline I gave you. So, so he's here. Nothing else was written except for the Old Testament. Um, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. <laughs> so who is the Old Testament about? It is about Jesus, the things concerning himself. Um, I want to show you a couple of other texts. When we say, well, what is the purpose of the Bible? So, you know, I talked about it being a rule book, and this isn't a very good understanding of what the Bible is. We understand what the Bible is based on what the Bible says about itself. (coughs) The purpose of this book, uh, John chapter 20, verse uh, 30 says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, these specific things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So 
what is the Bible about? What, what, why were these things recorded and written down? So that you would believe in Jesus. Well, what's the purpose of believing in Jesus? That you would have life in his name, eternal life in his name. So there we say, well, what is the Bible about? It's not simply a rule book that you would attain eternal life, but it is um, about the one who attained it for you, who earned it for you. Uh, Okay, Uh, real quick, who wrote the Bible? (coughs) So who wrote the Bible? Uh, Let's look at 2 Peter 121. If, if you need me to slow down, let me know. Or if you need references, uh, let me know too. Because, I, sorry, I'm just watching the clock wind down and I realize I bit off more than I could chew. Uh, anyway, First uh, or Second Peter one twenty one says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, th- this, is, this is a lot more forceful uh, and clear in the Greek that they were um, moved and caused. Th- this is better uh, translation. As the, uh, that the Holy Spirit caused them to write these things down. So it wasn't that they just, by the will of man, they just wanted to write a bunch of things down and they had nothing better to do. But it was the Holy Spirit who moved them to do this. Now, the second text I want to show you is this. Um, 2 Timothy 3. And this is an amazing, an amazing text. That you can see I already have it highlighted uh, from, from other classes. Paul says in, in a letter to Timothy, who's a, who is becoming and is a pastor, he says, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and from... And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are what? Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is powerful. Um, The breathed out by God, those four words are actually one word in Greek. And this is called hapax legomena, meaning this is the only time this word shows up in in the Bible. And it's made up of two words, theos, theo, penustas. Theo, where where we get the word theology. Um, So it's God. And uh, uh, penustas is uh, where we get the word, it's the root word for pneumonia, which is a disease of the lungs. So, the word together literally means God breathed. So all scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God. You could, you could say it that way. But it's, it's one word there. Meaning it's as if it, no, not as if, it is coming from the mouth of God. Uh, it is from his mouth. So we would say, well, who wrote the Bible? Well, we would say uh, Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and uh, uh, Moses, but who is the author of the Bible? You would say God is. <laughs> so God is the author, although others have, uh, have written it um, and that he remains the one. And so th- this is our view of the scriptures. Uh, the way we view the scriptures is that the scriptures are uh, from God himself. They're inspired, inerrant, 
infallible. That means they, they can't, they're not, it's not just the main idea of the Bible, but the very words of the Bible are from the Lord himself. Now, <clears throat> I want to take this time uh, just to go on a, a short excursus here. There are mainline liberal de- denominations, um, and they are, for example, the United Methodist Church, uh, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, uh, the, the Episcopalians or Anglican Church, uh, Presbyterian Church USA, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, these are the mainline liberal um, uh, denominations in the United States. Um, if, <coughs> if you walk into one of these churches, uh, what are you going to see? You'll see them have a liturgy, a service, and you'll recognize some things. However, you're also going to see some other things. And in some of them, you're going to see uh, women reading the lessons, reading uh, the Bible publicly or giving communion. Uh, maybe even w- women pastors. Uh, in some of them, you'll see them uh, support or even pay for abortion. Um, you'll see some of them uh, put up a, a rainbow flag or the transgender flag or po- other political flags. Uh, in some of them, you'll see animals in the church, uh, like pets, uh, for like pet blessings. Others, uh, you'll see uh, that they allow and, and um, uh, indiscriminately everyone to receive communion, whether they are a stranger or not, whether they're a first-time visitor or not. They, they know nothing about them. Uh, you'll see them pray with other denominations or even religions. Uh, you'll see them approve of things like divorce or cohabitation or same-sex unions, um, or uh, you'll see uh, transgender pastors, things like this. Now, what, what I want to say here is why are there these differences? Why are there differences like these? Where in some churches you'll see this and then others you won't. And it comes down to the doctrine, to the teaching. And it comes down to this, that they have a very different view of the Bible than the one I just told you about. That they speak of the Bible differently than the way the Bible speaks of, uh, of itself. Um, so uh, they would say, I want to explain this to you. They would say that the Bible, when they consider it, contains the word of God. And they use that word, they they chose that word very, very carefully, that it contains the word of God. What does that mean? What would that mean? It would mean that there are books in the Bible, there are pages, chapters, and verses that contain the word of God. But it also means that there are books pages, chapters, and verses that do not contain the word of God. So it, it would, so that there are spaces in there. Now, the first question when you hear this is, well, which parts contain that word of God and which parts don't? So what part of this verse is true and what part of it is not true? What, which is from God and which isn't from God? Because I, because I don't really care what other people have to say. I just care about what God has to say. So let's just take away all the parts that, that man said and leave the parts that God said. So that's the first question is, which, who, um, which, what, what is that division? Which parts contain it, which don't? But the second question is this. Who gets to decide which contains it, uh, 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 what parts contain it and what parts don't? 
Who gets to decide that? A pope or a synod or a committee or a group of, uh, of men who come together? And the answer they would say in these mainline uh, liberal churches, they would say, well, each of you, all of you, get to decide for himself what is and isn't the word of God. Uh, now, now do you see what happens? Now we can all go off in our different directions and say, well, I like this. I, I love when he says, um, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, what is it? Uh, I, I love that he says, um, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't like that he says um, that, <laughs> I don't know, uh, wives submit to your husbands. Or I, I don't like that he says, uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. So I like this part, I don't like that part. And now what you do is, it's, the Bible is now spread out open like a buffet. <laughs> and you come in and you just pick what parts you like and what parts you don't. And you have your plate, I have my plate. And the church, the purpose of the church and the, pur- the gathering, there's no real unity that you and I can disagree. And then we say, well, how, f- how much can we disagree upon before we don't disagree on any, or we don't agree on anything? Uh, and what parts do we agree upon? So, so those are the two questions you ought to ask is what parts contain the word of God? And then second, who gets to decide it? Now, th- that is a view called higher criticism. In other words, they stand higher than the Bible and they critique it. So they're above the scriptures, they look down, and with some sort of measuring stick, either reason, uh, they say that doesn't make sense, or feelings, I, I, that offended me, I don't like it, or the culture, say the culture has changed, the Bible's outdated, or tradition, so on and so forth. What you do is you end up correcting and editing the Bible. Now, so I, I wanna be um, clear here that the Lutheran church Missouri Synod. We'll talk about the name later. I know it's weird. We're like, what does Missouri have to do with Jesus? <laughs> uh, it, it's such a, a weird name, but it's a historical name, and I'll explain that too. Uh, but Lutherans, what, what I am, what the church is, what Zion is, uh, we say that the Bible doesn't contain the Word of God, but that the Bible is the Word of God. And is, we chose this word very carefully. We chose the word is. This means that every book, every page, every chapter, every verse, every word is the very word of God. And you can be confident and certain that it comes from God. And if the words matter and they come from God, then grammar matters. (laughs) You have to know English, right? You have to know language. You have to know how... I want to know whether the word is present tense or past tense or what aspect uh, it, it, the, the verb is or um, uh, if it's plural or singular. I want to know that because if God wrote those words and he is precise with his words, then the tense matters. Uh, whether it's plural or not matters. I make mistakes in my writing, but the scriptures we say have no mistakes. So they can be, we can dig into them in, in this way. Okay, so our view as opposed to the higher criticism, our view is lower criticism. Meaning, here's the Bible and we're beneath it. We're lower than the Bible. Meaning, we have a very high view of the scriptures. Because we have a high view of God and his authority, that means we stand below the scriptures. So, we don't 
as, as, as Lutherans, we don't critique the Bible. We let the Bible critique us. We, we don't change the Bible. The Bible changes us. We don't put our reason above the Bible. The, the Bible is above our reasons and it critiques and changes my reason, my feelings, my culture, and my tradition, right? These things ought to be formed by the Bible that if this is God speaking, then everybody ought to listen. So that the Bible is not, uh, um, we're not correcting the Bible. The Bible corrects us. Um, 